So the reading this evening is from Genesis chapter 3, and you can find that on page 5 of the Bibles in front of you. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realised they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. If you'd like to turn back to that chapter, chapter 3, we're going to look at questions of the heart tonight. 
The heart in the Bible is mostly used to describe the feelings and desires. And in this chapter, the narrative shows the effect of man's rebellious heart on God and his relationship with us. It is said to be the darkest day in history, and I believe that to be so. But shining through is the love and compassion and care of God in this passage. And it's provision of a way back to him. So as I look at this passage, I feel it will be useful to think of them as three our hearts. So we're going to look at the rebellious heart, the riven heart, and the redeemed heart. Before we do that, let's just commit this to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, I pray that you will help me take these words and do justice to them in one of these most important chapters in the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit, to your glory. Amen. So let's look at the first one, which is the rebellious heart. The rebellious heart. Now, before we can look at that, I believe we've got to look back to Genesis 2. I know you had a sermon on Genesis 2 last week to see how it was set up, how man and man and woman, Adam and Eve, were in their paradise. Here, in the beginning of chapter 2, it says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he was doing. And then he had, com- he had taken man and he had placed him in this wonderful garden. And everything around them was wonderful and amazing. And they had all the food and everything they ever needed. And then God looked around and saw there was no one for Adam as a helpmate. So he put him into a deep sleep, took one of his ribs and created Eve. And there they were, wonderfully in bliss, in paradise. And in the verse 25 it said, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So we go on to the chapter 3, verse 1. We get the rebellious heart. And it starts like any tragedy with dark undertones and foreboding. And this is the first verse, and it's talking about the servant, the devil. And it says, Now the servant was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, and this is very important, it's an innocent-sounding question, wasn't it? Did God really say... You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Now look at the reply from, from Eve. Eve's answer's absolutely correct. There's no sin as yet. There was no running away from God. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it, or you will die. Very clear. Now, here is the insidious thing about the devil. He tells half-truths and lies together, mixed together, so they're indiscernible. And in verses 4 to 5, he makes it very clear. Here's the lie and the half-truth. The devil said, You will not certainly die. 
The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. They certainly will. You will be like God, you will not, knowing good and evil. You see how it looks so wonderful. The seed was sown for Eve there, for man and woman. The seed was sown in their heart. And she looked at the tree again in a new light. And she desired it. And then that black day become blacker. In verse 6, when she took the fruit. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Sin had entered the world. Disobedience to God had done it. That half-truth had been acted upon by, with free will by the man and the woman in the garden. But instead of making them like God, it made them fearful. A huge chasm had opened between God and man. This relationship that was in harmony had been violently disrupted. Verse 7 shows us how violently that was. And immediate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Immediately they realized that they had done wrong. And immediately their eyes were opened. But it wasn't a good thing. They started to feel sin working through them. Like some insidious cancer in their hearts. And it all seemed, it all started with a seemingly innocent question, did it not? And they tried very hard to amend that. Are we not like that sometimes? We've done something wrong. We've done something very bad. And we feel it will be all made right with a box of chocolates and, a, and some flowers, maybe. And it's a bit like Adam and Eve here. They were trying to sew these inadequate fig leaves together to cover their shame. Their shame that they disobeyed God. The shame that they were now naked and they knew it and they were altogether not innocent any longer. Are we not like that? Now we have a big problem here, don't we? A rift between God and his greatest creation. We're told in chapter 2, this was the finest creation he had, made in the image of God. A holy and a just God who could not look on sin had to deal with mankind. He had to. He couldn't leave it there. They'd been given this one command not to touch that tree in the middle of the garden and they'd done it. So there need to be recompense. There need to be some way of dealing with this. So we come to the second part. The riven heart. Now, I know that's a very old word, riven. But it's lovely, actually. What it means is ripped or... T- well, it's not lovely, actually. But it's a good descriptive word. It's ripped or torn apart violently. And I think it describes adequately what happened at that point. A broken heart. God's broken heart. God's heart was broken. He was sad and grieved over his errant creation. He'd given them free will 
and they had chosen to disobey his only restriction on their life in the garden. Verse 8 is a very sad verse. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This is the first time we, we see something that we come across, a theophany, which is a pre-nativity appearance of the eternal God-man, Jesus. It must have been God, God the Son, because God the Father and God the Spirit are invisible. And just wonder at this. This, every day he came and walked in the garden with Adam and Eve and spoke with them. Isn't that wonderful? But now... It's all changed. It's all changed because of their sin. No longer can they face the holy God and they hid from him. And it gets worse in verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? An echo repeated to his father thousands of years later on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in both times, he knew the answer. But he wanted them to repent. He wanted them to come back to him. In this instant, as he suffered alone, he cried again, Where are you, Father? And he was saying to them, with tears in his eyes, Where are you? Where are you? Why are you hiding yourself from me? This communication, this relationship had been split, had been riven forcefully apart by their sin. It got sadder, didn't it? They didn't repent. They didn't say, we've done an awful thing. This is verse 10 and 11. He says, he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now there was their chance to come and say, yes, we have. We're sorry. We're sorry for that. But no, verse 12 and 13, the blame game started and has not stopped to this very day. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because of you have done this, and we'll go on to that later. But you see the blame game here. God said, why? Have you taken it? And Eve said, yes, I have, but it was was the serpent that came. And Adam, it was the woman who gave it to me. You see the blame game. Instead of taking responsibility, they were going to find a way of getting around it. Tell me, friends, just an aside here. When we read and hear this story and this sorry account of the following judgment, picture of an angry God, do you picture an angry God? I suggest it was a broken-hearted God that was there in the garden. In line with his nature, shown so clearly, particularly in Ezekiel 33:11, I have no joy in the death of the wicked. Man's sin broke God's heart. And it was of a heavy heart that the just and holy God gave sentence on his crowning glory. You see, God 
He's a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. And he's a holy God, and he must judge. So I believe it was with tears in his eyes that these next verses will come out. So the Lord God said to the serpent in verse 14, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you have listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles every time you get pricked and and you get stung by by the the thistles and the thorns and and the stinging nettles. You always remember the sin in the garden, I hope. And you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, from dust you are, and to dust you will return. It was done with tears of sorrow, I believe, like a good father. Discipline his son or daughter. Our sin in the garden and since has a profound effect on the Godhead and cause them grief and despair. We should always look to John, the Apostle, when he said that God is love. For surely if he was not, it would have all ended right there in Eden. It would have been over, finished, destroyed at any moment. But thank God it did not, because God is love. God's love and rescue plan started there and then. And out of God's sorrow flowed his redeeming grace as our hearts were redeemed. That's the final point here. Redeemed hearts. And it all starts in verse 15, in the middle of this. Here in the middle of judgment became love and, and this wonderful way out through the cross. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. That's the cross, isn't it? That's the cross. What a story. You take it from Genesis 3, right through the whole whole of the Old Testament, we're looking forward to that wonderful day on the cross. Good Friday. And it was a wonderful Good Friday. Yes, it was awful for the Godhead. There, suffering on the cross. But there he was on the cross, suffering for our sins. And from that very time, that was what he was looking for. That's what he was to do for us who believe in him. This redemption. His cry of dereliction on the cross. My God, my God, where are you? But it's also that wonderful words at the end. It is finished. What's finished? This wonderful work here. Yes, the devil did bruise his heel, but he crushed the head of the devil on the cross so that every one of us 
who believe in Jesus, who trust in the blood of Christ to save us, will be saved before and after the cross. Wow, what a love, loving God that is. Even amongst this judgment on the darkest day in history of man, he was looking for us. He was looking out for us. He was looking for a cure for sin, which only ended in him being on the cross and, and suffering for us. You saw in that, first, in that chapter how man tried to cure it themselves. Those fig leaves will not do. But then also, above all this, the common grace of Jesus comes through, or the common grace of God comes through. In verse 21 or 20, it says, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And that was good. There was promise of more to come. But all these people that came after would be born in sin and shapen in iniquity, as it says in other places. But look at this verse 21, and it's glorious. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Immediately, he was tending to their care. Isn't that wonderful? And I think that's the wonderful common grace of God. It says somewhere else that the rain rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's often misquoted. But God has given us these wonderful things that we have in this world. He clothed the two creatures that had caused him such pain in the garden immediately. The Lord God then also had this provision of proper covenant of care. In verse 22, he cared for them, what they did. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, one of the Trinity, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubims and flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Wonderful provision for us and for all mankind so that they would not be hurt again. Firstly, on reflection, when we sin, what do we, what do, we do? We hurt God, don't we? But how would that help us now in our daily living? How will that help us practically as we go about our lives? We should remember that we hurt God every time we sin. He grieves for us. And he wants us to turn back to him through Christ and ask for forgiveness. He wanted in the garden for Adam and Eve to say, I'm sorry, but they didn't. But he wants us to come back to him and repent, to turn round, to look back to God and say, I've done wrong, I have sinned against you. Please save me, and he will. Ask for forgiveness, and it will drive us out on to seek sanctification, to seek likeness of Jesus, our perfect example. That not only did he come to die on the cross, he came to live on this earth to show us how we should live, that perfect example. And through the help of the Holy Spirit, when it's the last time you ask the Holy Spirit to really intercede for you. Think about that. But also, I believe this passage 
should help us with those who have wronged us and to soften our response and drive us on to glorify God for our lives. See, if we've been forgiven, it shouldn't be too hard for us to forgive others. But how difficult that is when we're wronged. But when we look back at this chapter and we see the wrong that mankind did to God in the garden, disobeying that one command, we can easily forgive others that have sinned against us, surely. Look back to the cross. Look back to the garden. And look back at all he has done for us. And we can glorify God by forgiving those that have sinned against us. Jesus taught that greatly on the Sermon on the Mount, did he not? I'm not going to that. So this chapter is very dark. It's very depressing in some ways how man could not even keep one command, just one command. But yet it is wonderful in the way that God has provided a saviour that is willing to die on the cross for us. So when we look at this chapter, it will make us sad. And it certainly made God sad. But it gives us hope for the future. It gives us a, a desire to glorify God for our lives. And I just want to finish with this hymn that we're going to sing soon. This should be our prayer. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life an atonement for sin and open the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. O oh, come to the Father, who Jesus is Son, and give him the glory. Great things he has done. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this passage. We wonder at the depth of your love and forgiveness that drove you to the cross. Thank you, Lord, for dying for us on the cross. With full realisation, we cannot repay this debt. May we, in the light of this, be willing to forgive others who have harmed or offended us. To your glory. Amen.